quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. It's reassuring because this too shall pass, but while we're in the middle of it, what actions are we taking to either set us up for success in the future or put us on a different path? Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners, and welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Paul Mueller, the content director over here at Best Ever CRE, and the reason you're hearing my voice today instead of one of the voices you're accustomed to is that we have a bit of a bonus episode for you today. Now, I don't know if you've heard, but Joe Fairless has started a book club. And Joe and I recently led the first book club meetup in which we discussed The Wealthy Gardener by Dr. John Soferick. And that discussion is what you'll hear in today's episode. We discussed Joe's biggest takeaways from the book, specifically the lessons and strategies that real estate investors and syndicators can apply to their lives and businesses. And of course, Joe dropped a few nuggets of his own along the way from his experience. So you definitely don't want to miss those. If you missed the first meetup, it's not too late to join Joe's book club before we meet in August. You can join by visiting bebookclub.com. That's B-E for best ever, bookclub.com. I really hope you enjoy this conversation, and more than anything, I hope that you get some value out of it. Off we go. All right. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the first best ever book club. We're going to be talking about The Wealthy Gardener, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm with Paul. He heads up the best ever brand, and he's going to be the moderator He's going to make sure we have a nice structured conversation and ultimately want to make sure that you get what you came here for. So if you go in the chat, you'll see that there's going to be a question that populates and the question is, your time is valuable. What is your ideal outcome for today's best ever book club meeting as we discuss The Wealthy Gardener? So feel free to answer that and then that will help us make sure that we structure this book club the right way. So I think there's some housekeeping things that, Paul, you wanted to mention about participating versus watching. So with that, I'll turn it over to Paul real quick. Sure. Hey, everybody. We are recording live on Riverside, but we are also live on LinkedIn. So if you are here in Riverside, that means that you signed up for the Best Ever Book Club. You've been receiving the emails and you've been going back and forth with us a little bit on this book. So you have the ability to drop your comments in here and your questions for Joe, able to interact with this conversation. If you're joining us on LinkedIn and you aren't able to interact with us here in Riverside, Tracy is going to drop a link for you to join the book club, to subscribe to the book club. And that way, once you're a part of the club, then you'll receive an email that has the Riverside link in it so that you can join us here and join in on the conversation with myself and Joe. Awesome. So we've got the question in there. What is your ideal outcome for today's best ever book club meeting as we discussed Wealthy Gardener? So for every book that I read or most of the books that I read that are personal development related, what I do is after I get done reading it, I type up notes. So while I'm reading the book, I'm highlighting and underlining certain things in the book. And then at the end of the book, I go back and I'm able to just put the bullet points. So 
you can see here, I've got three and a half pages of notes and I've highlighted certain things that I think would be interesting for us to talk about. But before I get into that, I want to hear what is your ideal outcome for this, and then we'll get into it. So with that, I'll turn it over to Paul and he can direct traffic. Sure. Well, I think the first thing, Joe, is I'll take the stab at that first question in terms of what I'd like to get out of this. And having gotten to know you to some degree in the time that we've been working together, I've learned a lot about your journey, the kind of person you are, the kind of professional that you are. And as I was reading this book, there were a lot of things that stood out to me as stuff that we all probably already know, things relating to habits, things relating to work ethic and things like that. A lot of them serve as really good reminders, but the thing I'd like to get out of this is to have you identify which of the things in this book, the different characteristics, the different strategies, have you relied on heavily in the past to grow your business and grow your wealth to where you are today? And also, I'd love to know which were kind of surprising to you. Which one stood out to you as things that you had either considered and had not really implemented or things that were your key takeaways in terms of what you think you can implement into your life and your business? Well, I'd say the one I wanted to open with that has helped serve me, and it's also a good reminder for me, and perhaps it'll be useful for everyone, is the author wrote the following. We cause our conditions, for better or worse, by our choices, our hours, and our thoughts. Jocko has a book, Extreme Ownership. I haven't read it, but based on the title, I think I get the gist <laughs> of it, and I embrace that philosophy. And John, the author, succinctly put it here. We cause our conditions for better or worse by our choices, our hours, and our thoughts. So what do we choose to do within the hours that we have on earth? And how do we think about what we're doing and the progress that we're making? So that to me is a foundational element for life, not just business. And that's something that really resonated. As far as something surprising goes or something that I'm not used to hearing. One thought that I've had recently is right now we're living in a temporary moment, but it has permanent consequences. That's a quote from me. I thought of that in the shower two days ago. I was thinking of good ideas and bad ideas, and I think that was a good idea. We live in temporary moments, but they have permanent consequences. So it's reassuring because this too shall pass, but while we're in the middle of it, what actions are we taking to either set us up for success in the future or put us on a different path? And in the book, the author writes about the discomfort bridge and he references someone else who came up with it. I forget who came up with it, but he references in the book and I didn't come across it. And the discomfort bridge is walking into discomforts and temporary inconveniences and we end up crossing the bridge one way or the other. We end up crossing the bridge, but the change remains having had to go across that bridge. So really he talks about we're either going to step into growth or step back to where we are currently. And that's something that is not discussed enough, I don't think. So it was nice to read about. And it's something that it's quite frankly comforting in my opinion, because Life is full of challenges, and we should expect it to be full of challenges. And when we embrace that, and we know that, hey, this challenge is going to pass, we're going to have some good stuff coming up. But what are we doing in this moment during the challenge that will either give us good consequences or bad consequences? 
So those are some things that came to mind. That's really interesting, Joe, because that was probably my biggest takeaway from the entire book. And that specific passage where it says every bridge is only a temporary passageway that leads to another side. Because it's so easy when you have something daunting in front of you, whatever that discomfort or whatever that challenge is, it's so easy to look at it as infinite and that you're going to slide into this new life of discomfort and it's going to last forever. But that also ties in with the other idea from this book, which is about goals. Clearly defining those goals and the impact hours and the impact activities that you need to do every day. Consistency, I know that's really important to you. So I like the way that that ties into the idea of setting goals and doing those small things every day that eventually culminate with you getting across that bridge to a place of prosperity. Absolutely. And what a coincidence that one of the things that resonated with you out of this book also was one of the top two things that resonated with me. Something else surprising is what the author talks about, unfinished business binder with lifelong intentions. That was just something I hadn't heard of ever, an unfinished binder and who has binders anymore, but maybe it would be beneficial to have a binder on our desk, a trapper keeper with the Velcro old school style and have a physical representation of business that is unfinished that we want to do. In my mind, there's a couple books in my head that are non-real estate related that I just find really interesting that if I did them, they'd be fun to do. So that would be in my unfinished business binder. So I like that concept also. Joe, to kind of piggyback off that, when you mentioned a binder of things that you'd like to do or unfinished tasks, this is tangentially related to the book. I was listening to a podcast recently where the guest was a guy named Derek Sivers. He's been on the Tim Ferriss show a couple of times and rose to fame based on that. But he has this concept of letting go of goals. Like if you're a musician, you're like, I'd love to write a song one day. And it's always in the back of your mind. It's taking up space of this thing that you want to do. And maybe you're taking steps to it or you're not taking steps to it, but it ties into this book in the way that talks about saying no, how the most successful people learn to say no to almost everything. And they only say yes to the things that are going to advance them towards whatever their clearly defined goals are. I'd love to know from your perspective, what are some of the things that you've had to say no to over the years, some of the sacrifices you've had to make in the short term to be able to build what you've built and lead you to prosperous life? I just became acquainted to a guy named Mark Moses. He's out of Florida. He has a successful coaching program. And he said something that resonated with me, and I've used it as a filter. He said, oh, look at that. Right there, Derek Sivers. You read my mind. <laughs> if it isn't a hell yeah, then it's a hell no. I'll add the hell in front of no, but that is a great filter because that truly gets to the core of if you're focused on what is of greatest interest to you. So if it's not a hell yeah, then it's a hell no. And it ties into some things that this book mentioned that I really like. It talks about doubling down on your individuality. And I'll read a couple sentences from the book. I thought rugged determination was the way to wealth, but learned to work hard within my unique set of interests. And then he goes on in a different section. And he says, the secret to your fullest wealth is using your individuality. Discover and follow your interests. And in those interests, notice the activities that are easiest for you. That's a key part. What activities within your interest are easiest for you? You're gifted for a few best activities. You can do a few things more naturally than the crowd. 
and you can learn some things more easily than others. Look for things that are difficult for others, but not for you. So I think I know that is really powerful because when we focus on our individuality, when we first have to be aware of what our individuality is as it relates to what we're uniquely good at. We have to be aware of what we're uniquely good at. And then it's okay. This is what I'm uniquely good at. How can I put this to use in the world? And that is something that has been talked about, but how many of us are truly living it? I was just listening to Simon Sinek, the Understand Your Why guy, and he talked about a good way to identify your why, your unique skill set, your unique set of interests, is to sit down with your best friend, not a family member, not a spouse, not your child, your best friend, and ask him or her, why are you there for me? What about me and what about our relationship is a way that you will always be there for me. If I call you at 3 a.m., you're there. You'll help me out. And Simon talks about, well, initially your friend's going to say, well, you're just a nice guy. You're just a nice girl or you're really reliable. But ultimately, if you keep peeling back the layers of the onion, you're going to eventually get to something where it's like, oh, okay. And in Simon's example, he had this conversation with a friend and the friend ultimately got to, you inspire me, inspire others around me. And that's what I really value about you. So Simon then took that and ran with it and does what he does. So that's a good practical way of identifying your unique skill sets, which according to this book, and I certainly believe that is the secret to your fullest wealth. Your individuality is the secret to your fullest wealth. And wealth, as we all know, is much more than money. Money is a component of wealth, but wealth is much more than money because even if you're making what you're making currently, if you're doing something that is fulfilling your individuality, you're going to be a happier person. And surprise, surprise, it's highly likely you're going to make a lot more financial gains as a result of it. Just really quick, a reminder, guys, if you're watching us on LinkedIn, we're here recording live on Riverside. And if you want to get into the conversation here on Riverside with us, there should be a link in the comments on LinkedIn where you can sign up to be part of the group. And when you sign up, you'll get a link sent to you to join us here in Riverside. And then you'll continue to get the emails moving forward so you know where we'll be and when, and you can be a part of the conversation. Joe, a couple of things you said there really stood out to me because they reminded me of the theme of the conference back in March, where leaning into the thing that you're great at and then relying on partners for the other things that they're great at and the sum being greater than its parts Yep. or however that saying goes. Yeah, absolutely. And there's ways to identify incorrect partners. And the way to identify an incorrect partner is to find someone who hasn't done what you're bringing them on to do as a partner before. And you have to teach them how to do that. That's an incorrect way to bring on a partner because that is not a partner. That is an employee. That is a mentee. The only way we should bring on a true partner is if that person completely solves for whatever you're seeking for him or her to solve within the business and teaches you some things about whatever that thing is. That's a partner. And so, so often I see 
people in our industry bring on partners and then have to teach the partner because they don't have direct experience doing exactly what that thing is. And that's a big mistake and it sets you back financially. An example is a friend of mine brought on a director of acquisitions. Well, the director of acquisitions was an underwriter for a big lender. Great at underwriting, but not so great at connections because they didn't have to have connections during the underwriting. And they ended up letting the person go after a short period of time. That's an example. It's a microcosm of that overall dynamic. So taking a step back, there are other things in the book that were interesting to me, many things. As you probably see over my shoulder here, that clock, you can see it ticking down. And it is now officially called my happy 90th birthday clock. It's ticking down to my 90th birthday. And it's a reminder that every second matters. And in this book, the author writes, someone should tell us at the beginning of our lives that we are dying. And I remember Steve Jobs mentioned this. So I know this isn't a quote that an author said originally, but nonetheless, it's important to remember. Someone should tell us at the beginning of our lives that we are dying. Then we might live life to the limit every minute, every day. Do it. Whatever you want to do, do it now. There are only so many tomorrows. And actually, last night, I was with a friend, and there's some health challenges with one of the friend's family members, major health challenges. And my friend and I were having this exact conversation where he brought it up. He's like, this family member has worked so long and saved all this money, and now they probably won't live much longer to enjoy what they've been saving up and working for. And I talked to my friend about the book Die With Zero, and he said, absolutely. Maybe not literally, and I don't subscribe to it literally, Die With Zero, but the book Die With Zero talks about why not invest in what's called memory dividends. When we invest money in stuff, we get paid dividends or certain investments, we get paid financial dividends, but when we invest money into experiences, we get paid memory dividends and they pay us back time and time and time and time again. And he was talking to me about certain memories that he has with the family member that is in a really hard spot health-wise. And he said, I'm taking that approach after seeing what this family member is going through and not being able to experience things that they've saved up their whole life to try and experience by working as hard as they've worked. So it's important to remember that we can be gone at any moment and we've got to take action and enjoy the experience that we have. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The secret to your fullest wealth is using your individuality. So doing as many things as possible that can fulfill us and not waiting for a tomorrow to take place. And that's why I have so much respect for everyone on this call, because as I mentioned at the very beginning, from the quote, we cause our conditions for better or worse by our choices, our hours, and our thoughts. So by choosing to be here, by investing your time in this discussion, and by picking up on one actionable takeaway that Seth is seeking, and I'm sure others are, at least one actionable takeaway, that can have a huge difference in your life and in my life. Yeah, related to time, Joe, one of the quotes that I have marked down here is, Lack of direction, not lack of time is the problem. That's yeah. a Zig Ziglar quote. We all have 24 hours in a day. 
And it's so easy to waste time. And it's so easy to be unfocused. I don't know that there's a question in there, just kind of an observation. I agree. And from an impact standpoint, you mentioned impact earlier, Paul. One question that is really powerful that was in the book that I suggest everyone ask ourselves, and that is, if you could offer only two hours a day for a critical work outcome, which tasks would fill this limited time? Boils it down to the 80-20 rule, right? Boils it down to the core of what we would do, how would we invest our time to make the greatest impact in the shortest amount of time. Ties into another book that I'm currently reading, 10x is easier than 2x. Maybe we do that next month or in future months. I won't get into that since that will probably be a book, but it's a similar concept. Yeah, I'd like to remind everybody once again that if you're listening to us on LinkedIn Live that you can subscribe to the book club. There should be a link in the comments for you to follow, and then you'll get the link to the Riverside that we're in right now if you want to be a part of the conversation. I'm going to go through now, Joe. We sent out a prompt in some of the earlier emails for people to send in some questions early, just some topics for us to touch on, things that they wanted to gain from the book or from you, from your perspective about the book. And I think presumably the same Seth that wants an actionable takeaway. He wrote that there's lots of good stuff in the book. It's a little overwhelming. So what's the most important advice to you specifically in your role as an apartment syndicator? Here's the quote from the book. Remember, behind outward achievements, we too often fail to observe the human being. Alone and obscure, working in the face of uncertainty, propelled only by an inner ambition with the demands of a family and a full life, who just made time to do the gritty work. We live in an instant gratification culture. We live in a culture that people bounce from thing to thing because there's so many different shiny objects competing for their time. Most of those shiny objects are insignificant and meaningless. And when we make time to do the gritty work consistently, day in, day out, then that is the best way to yield big-time results. I've seen it firsthand with my podcast. Nobody in the world has a longer-running daily real estate investing podcast, and that's an example of day in, day out, doing the gritty work. People see the outward achievements, but they don't because it's impossible to see all the sacrifices made along the way to get there. And there's quotes in this book about sacrifices. He talks about that. And I believe that one of the quotes, and I don't see it here, but one of the quotes is something to the effect of we're either going to sacrifice, we've all heard this one before, the pain of regret or the pain of discipline. I think that's what it is. I think that's a big one for me. We've talked about already in this conversation some practical things that you could run with, like that question I mentioned before, if you could offer only two hours for a critical work outcome, which tasks would fill this limited time and some other things. I also like the acorn analogy. I like that a whole lot. There's an acorn on my desk. I can keep it on my desk for 10 years and it's going to do nothing. But if I take this acorn and I plant it in the right soil and I tend to it, it magically grows into an oak tree. And an unfocused mind is like the acorn on my desk. An undisciplined person 
is like an acorn on my desk. But a focused mind, a disciplined person, that's like planting that acorn and making it into a beautiful, large oak tree. And there's a couple different analogies there that he talks about, but that's powerful. Just look at how many podcasts have been started, and then they end with 10 episodes. Tons. And people say, oh, well, should I really get into podcasting? It's just so many people are doing it. Not really. So many people start it. So many people talk about it. But how many people consistently do it and have been doing it for years? Not that many. It's because shiny objects and lack of focus, lack of discipline. So that's doing the gritty work consistently is something that really resonates with me. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you raising capital for commercial real estate ventures? To make sure you comply with security laws and structure your deals correctly, talk to syndicationattorneys.com, your premier legal resource for real estate syndicators and fund managers. Syndicationattorneys.com dedicates its practice to helping real estate syndicators and fund managers legally raise capital from private investors. Their experienced team has helped create over $2.75 billion in security offerings, making them industry leaders in the capital raising space. To get a free copy of their book, How to Raise Capital for Real Estate Legally, go to syndicationattorneys.com or text the word FAIRLESS to 844-796-3428. That's FAIRLESS, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, to 844-796-3428. Launch and grow your business with syndicationattorneys.com today. This offer is not valid to Florida residents. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. One of the quotes I have... Joe is from early on in the book. It says, we pay the price of an extraordinary life or the regrets of an average life. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of ties into actually what the next question was from the emails. Karen Cruz asked, uh, actually, she highlighted the analogy of only farming one third of your farmland. If you remember early in the book. Yeah, the um, plot. Yeah. And she says, as a mom with two kids and a full-time job, I have trouble balancing how much of my free time to spend in real estate versus my personal and my family well-being. And she says, the question is, how do you really know if you're ever spending the right amount of time in all these areas to help maximize your potential and set yourself up for success? Well, I don't know the direct answer to that question, how do you really know? But I have an idea that has been helpful for me. And that idea is not compartmentalizing, but rather integration. I'm not saying having your kids or your spouse become partners or employees of yours in the business, but integration 
where it makes sense, whether it's going on trips, whether it's teaching them certain things that you're doing, thinking about different ways that they can be involved so that it's not compartmentalized. And I'll speak for myself and I don't feel like, hey, I'm doing this, therefore they're not involved. That's a whole different world. That's a challenge. Try to do work-life balance. Good luck. But integration, that has been helpful for me and that has worked for me. So I would think about different ways that you can teach life lessons that correspond to what you're doing, why you're doing it, bring them along to a conference or two, whatever activities you're currently doing in real estate, consider some ways to integrate them. And I know you'll enjoy that because you're spending more time with your family, but you're also moving forward with the business. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that, Joe. My wife and I, if we're going to go drive a property or something like that, we routinely bring our kids and we ask them questions about the property and try to see the things. What do you guys see here? What's wrong with this place? What do we need to fix? And get them involved in the conversation. And they're constantly asking us, well, why are we even doing this? Why are we even here? Why would we even buy this? And then we answer those questions and we involve them in the dialogue. And I'm sure you have this too. They always hear us on the phone. Who was that? Oh, this is who it was. It was this person. And these are the things we were discussing. And then the Mm -hmm. questions continue to follow. And then you just engage them in the conversation and it becomes normal for them to think about my son is 10. And now when we're driving around, he'll see a house that's run down that probably has a tired landlord. And he'll be like, hey, dad, that would be a good one right there. That one looks like it needs a lot of work. It's a great way to bond too. Because professionally, someone's world is, if we're talking to real estate people, real estate. So we spend a lot of time on real estate. So it's awesome to be able to talk to our family about what we spend a lot of time doing. And most of the time, I would imagine, in family units, that is welcomed because it's another common bond that the family unit can have to talk about. And it's just another way to get closer. And I think it's just a good thing. And to be clear, again, I'm not talking about bring on your spouse as your business partner. That may or may not work. I don't know. Depends on the dynamic. But it's just integrating where it makes sense. I've got a couple of other questions here from the emails to run through. Everybody here on Riverside or also, if, I guess, if you're on LinkedIn and you want to drop some questions in the comments as well, any questions you have or any general thoughts you had, themes that you found interesting in the book that you'd like us to touch on, feel free to drop those in the chat. But one observation that Tim, I believe it's Fergustat, sent through was that consistent money habits are paramount. But the thing that he said that stood out to me was that we get what we tolerate. And Mm. I remember that resonating with me just in terms of that decision of being comfortable or walking across that discomfort bridge. Yeah. I was listening to Tony Robbins yesterday or two days ago, and he talked about it's like a thermostat. What temperature are you at with a certain thing, with your weight? What's your temperature where you're just comfortable? Is it 98 degrees or I'm mixing analogies now, but with a thermostat at a house, are you comfortable at 68 degrees? Okay, awesome. But at 60, ah, it's way too cold. At 80, no way. I won't tolerate that. I'll call the air conditioning company if something's broken. But 68, 69, 70, 71, ah, I'm, I'm comfortable enough. So thinking about that in every area of our life, for me, it's my weight. Right now, I weigh 199 pounds. 
and my goal is to get to 193. After a Disney cruise, I was up to 106, and I was like, my thermostat's broken. I'm tolerating too much, and I need to be down to around 193. And it's a constant reminder for me personally, what am I tolerating? Honestly, I still am tolerating a 199 weight, and I haven't figured out the internal mechanism that will get me to, no, 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 I need to be at 193, and that needs to be my new standard. And I can't tolerate anything above 195. So I agree. It's a challenge that I work through on things, but it's something I'm aware of. And one thing from an exercise standpoint, but that is applied to every area that was in this book, he talked about the distance doesn't matter. Only the first step is difficult. The first step out the door is more challenging than the two-mile walk that follows it. (laughs) Absolutely true from my perspective. The first step out the door is so much harder than the distance that follows. Just yesterday, we have a gym in our house. I went downstairs. I had 25 minutes to work out, and then I had stuff. I went downstairs, and then I got on my phone. I started playing chess because I was like, you know what? I only have 25 minutes, and dang, I don't think it's enough time. Well, it was a six-minute chess match. We each have three minutes on chess.com, and then that wipes away six of the 25 or so minutes. And now I'm down to 19. I'm like, well, I only got 19. Well, I guess I'll play it again and I'll work out later. Eventually I did work out later. I ran two miles later in the day, but that was an example of, man, if I would have just got my butt on the treadmill while playing chess and just started walking instead of sitting, I got myself to the gym, (laughs) but I sat down on the bench. I would have got the exercise in earlier in the day than later in the day when it's 95 degrees and really humid and sweating like crazy. So it's the first step and just being mindful of that. People talk about micro goals. I'm a huge fan of micro goals. Just take the first step. Paul, you've done that crazy. You only eat meat and you run every day twice or what is that? Yeah, it's called 75 hard. 75 hard. So you did it, right? Yeah. Yeah, you did 75 hard, and it took you one try before you did it, right? You, yeah. You did it for 20 days, and then you stopped, something like that. Exactly. Yeah, so you know you're a living, breathing example of what it's like to sacrifice some crazy stuff to do something that only half a percent of the population, if that, would ever be crazy enough to do, and it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and it's interesting because the trick there, and this is something that's actually not touched on as much as I thought it would be in the book, is accountability because that's the reason I was able to make it through that. We had a group chat, seven or eight of us, Mm. and every day we had to check in. And if somebody didn't check in, the next morning was like, hey, man, where are you at? Why didn't you check in? Did you finish? Did you fail? Okay if you failed, but you got to let us know. And that's the only reason I did it. And I've tried to go back and do it on my own since, and I haven't been able to because I haven't had that accountability. It's the idea of building the lasting habits that, like you said, you wake up and you go to the gym when you don't want to go because you're a person that goes to the gym and that's what you do. That's the toughest part. And that's the thing I and probably most people struggle with. Yeah, I love that. And that's why I'm grateful that we're doing a group like this is for accountability and whether or not everyone read the book or not. I get it. If I saw this, I might have read some. I read this whole book, by the way. But if I was attending and I thought it was interesting, I might have read some, but then I want to just join in and just be part of the community and learn what the takeaways are. And then maybe I wouldn't have to read the book because they would say some takeaways. And I think we've relayed some insights that were really good in the book, and I think it will be helpful. And I see Amber mentions never negotiate with yourself. That's a Tony Robbins saying that sticks with her. And yeah, I agree. 
silly, but I hired a breathing coach after I read the book Breath by James Nestor. And this breathing coach, I did four sessions. And one of the sessions, she said, say hi to your mind, because as human beings, we have 60,000 thoughts a day, according to her, running through our minds. And they could be as simple as that door behind me is white to as complex as other stuff. But she said, acknowledge our mind when we wake up, like, oh, hi, mind. Sounds really silly. But once I did it, I was like, so there is a internal dialogue that's taking place in my head and I want to make sure I'm recognizing it. And then I can be more effective and efficient with how I approach things because it's like, okay, I'm going to take control over my thought process versus being on autopilot. I like that thought process. Joe Irwin just threw a question here in the chat. It says, Joe, do you recommend a performance coach for newbie real estate investors aspiring to be syndicators? Short answer is yes. I would recommend getting connected with someone who can help you do what you want to do and is currently doing it and has proven that they can teach others how to do it. I certainly recommend that. I will say prior to doing that, though, I would recommend making sure your house is in order because unless you're fully committed and you are going to be consistent going back to what we we're talking about earlier, doing the gritty work or as Seth says, doing the right gritty work. I like that. Assuming that you're committed doing the right gritty work and that you're committed to doing, in this case, syndication, then yes, I certainly recommend a coach. I recommend reading my syndication book because that gives you the foundation for it. I am assuming that you have read it given that you're involved in this community because you don't want to go to a coach asking what's NOI and tell me about how cap rates work. You want to go to a coach so they can take you to another level that books can't bring you to. So get the baseline knowledge first. Make sure that you've worked on yourself and you're committed. So get those two boxes checked. Once those two boxes are checked, absolutely. Go get in a group or go find a mentor locally or nationally who has done what you're doing and is currently doing it and has proven that they can help others. Joe, kind of related to mentorship, Andrea Foley actually sent in a question via email. It's more of a thought than a question, I suppose, but it says having mentors that can see your life from a different perspective can be the key to making path corrections, especially if that mentor has already accomplished what you desire. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I've had Trevor McGregor. I've worked with him for 10 years or so. I'm in a mastermind group also with really high achieving men and women and Every week I have two calls with the different people who are in my group that I've developed a really good relationship with, both local. And I do a one-on-one -on -one call with each of these people once a week on Tuesdays and we check in and it's personal, professional, and challenge. Generally, that's the structure. It's a 30-minute call. We each speak for about 15 minutes and it's great. Joe, I've got a couple of other questions here. One is kind of going back to what you were talking about when you discussed leaning into your individuality and finding good partners. It says, if you're someone without a ton of experience, how can you look for signals on whether a partner would be a good fit for you? Someone without a ton of experience, how do you figure out if a partner could be a good fit for you? I'm putting myself in your shoes mentally. You've got to know what you want and you've got to know what responsibilities need to 
be done for the business that you're in. So I'll use apartment syndication because that's the business I know to give an example. There are three components to it, money, deal, and execution. Got to have money, got to have a deal, and got to be able to execute business plan. So if you are good at building a network, speaking to investors, the money part, then deal and execution, you've got to find a partner. Now, if you don't have a lot of experience, then you probably shouldn't be raising money in the first place unless you bring on someone who has a lot more experience than you. Once you have that experience, assuming that person has experience, well, first you've got to like them and have similar values. So just have a conversation with them and get a good vibe from them. Second, they've got to fulfill those responsibilities. It doesn't matter how much experience you have or don't have. It's easy to see, oh, as a potential partner, that person has X amount of years doing exactly what these roles are. So I could have zero experience and I could look on LinkedIn and see that this person, she has 10 years of asset management experience in apartments. Well, that would check the box for me if I'm seeking in a person who's overseeing the execution component of the business. Actually, now that I'm talking through it, I don't think experience matters to determine if a partner is a good fit or not because it's just a resume or a LinkedIn profile in addition to them and you connecting as human beings and jiving together. I got one more question here for you, Joe. Tying back to the book, it says, we read so many books, right? And it's easy to read a book written by somebody who's got a specific skill or experience and to read it and think, this is all such great information. I'm going to go implement all of this. But the question here is, what are some of the things in the book that you either didn't think were reliable or maybe something that you disagreed with, if anything stands out? Well, I wouldn't have put it in my notes if I disagreed with it. So I don't know of something that I disagreed with. I'm sure I can find something, but that's not something that I documented. So what was your other part of the question? That was really it. It was just something that you either thought was not as reliable as maybe it seems or something that you disagreed with. The other way to ask that question, which is probably a less interesting question, is what are some of the things that you glossed over? Because like I said, we're all at different parts of our journeys whatever yeah. it is that we're working towards. So there's a lot of stuff that doesn't apply to you that does apply to me or vice versa. Yeah. I don't have anything good there. I could probably go back and look and identify something, but I don't have anything right now. All right. Well, the last thing, unless another question comes here in the next couple of minutes would be a question from me, which I guess this goes back to your big takeaways is what's one thing from this book that really stood out to you as something actionable that you could implement in your life and your business pretty much immediately. Yeah, I like that question. If you could offer two hours a day for a critical work outcome, what task would fill this limited time? Because right now I'm thinking about how to 10x, not 2x. And again, it's from that book that Dan Sullivan wrote with Benjamin Hardy. So that's a good one. I've got to put more thought towards that. So I'd say that that would be what comes to mind. All right. Is there anything from the book that we didn't discuss that you'd like to touch on? I just comment, Erwin mentioned 100% thanks, Joe. And he says, my ego and pride has been my biggest obstacle stopping me from asking for help, but I'm working on it and winning. Good. I'm glad you're working on it. I would say additional thought for you, Erwin. I mean this in a nice way, but don't be selfish. And I say don't be selfish because by you not asking for help, that's hurting your potential. 
And by you hurting your potential, you're hurting the impact that you can have on others. And you're hurting the impact that you can provide for yourself and your family and those around you and the ripple effect. So obviously, consciously, you're not being selfish. You're in this group and you're seeking improvement. But subconsciously, those limiting beliefs are not allowing your special gifts to blossom. So don't be selfish. Get out of your own way and make that happen. Jackson's asked, what's the next book? You're sending out an email, right, Paul? And we're going to vote on that? Yep, we're going to send out an email with a couple of books that Joe selects, and you guys can vote on it. Again, if you're watching us on LinkedIn and you're not a part of the book club, there should be a link in the comments for you to join the club, and you'll have the ability to vote on the next book and then come in here on Riverside and interact with us when we do this again next month. Props to you, Edwin. Glad you joined us in Jackson. Glad we did this together. This is fun. Yeah, great. And we'll definitely do it again. And like I said, if you're on LinkedIn, make sure you subscribe to the club and you can, you'll can you get the very next email that goes out with the books for next month. And we'll select those and we'll get started right away. Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I really enjoyed it. I hope everybody else did as well. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.